Let's take our Bibles this evening and let's go ahead and and turn to uh, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And um, I want us to read uh, beginning at verse 11 in just a moment. But I'm I'm so glad to be with you and thank you for this opportunity to be with you. And um, just been praying praying that the Lord would give us a good time together. Thank you for praying for my wife and uh, those of you. Some of you sent her cards. I don't know who sent her cards, but thank you. Uh, She had said that she'd been sick for maybe uh, almost a year and a half, and altogether she had gotten five cards in a year and a half. And so we appreciated those, but then all of a sudden she got like uh, 10 cards from you folk, and she said, what a blessing they were, and she keeps them, puts them right next to the couch where she sleeps or rests, and she'll flip through those cards and get encouraged, so any of you ladies write those cards, I sure appreciate it, thank you for doing that, it's a blessing. All right, let's go ahead, and I want us to begin reading at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for you to use the Word of God tonight. We know, Lord, that there's a special group of people here that have come together by your design. There are people listening on Zoom, live stream, by your design. I'm preaching by your design. There's so much you're trying to do and are doing. And so, Lord, all we can do is trust you to direct us. And I pray, Lord, that I am listening. I hope I am. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to go forth the way it should from, your, um, from you to them. And, Lord, the, the mind, emotions, and will, all of it, Lord, that it would be under your control for the good of all of us who are here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As an evangelist, I uh, have so many things that I could preach on, and um, I felt that I was going to preach on um, something to do with uh, the love of God, but I just felt as I was sitting here that God kind of redirected me to something rather an extreme difference to the topic of the judgment of God. Now, I find it a little bit... um, um, confusing because I realize that so many of you have gone through so much here in San Francisco with the difficulties of the year. But yet, as an evangelist, I do believe that sometimes we can contribute something to the body of Christ that just helps us to stay at the work of God. And as far as revival, I don't know that I've ever seen anything more helpful to stir the people of God than the reality of the task 
that we are doing to try to keep souls, snatch them from the burning. And so once in a while, we've got to have our hearts stirred. And I know that Pastor Ennis will preach on this and others will. But I just feel the Lord wants us to look at this. Now, this passage of Scripture is talking about the great white throne judgment, which we know is not a judgment for uh, believers. It's only for the unbeliever. But every believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day, give an account for what we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. So we will not be judged at this judgment, the great white throne judgment, but every unbeliever will be judged at this judgment. And it's a serious thing. And as you look at it, it seems to indicate in this passage that after the judgment's given, people are cast into the lake of fire, which seems in this passage to be different than hell. Now, I used to think that hell and the lake of fire were the same thing, but as I look at it, I see that hell and the lake of fire are two different things. Thus, verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This, the lake of fire, is the second death. Now, hell is cast into the lake of fire. That must mean that hell and the lake of fire are two different things. Follow me on that? And they are. Now, one day I was looking at this, and I was personally stirred with the importance of our efforts to try to win souls by this thought. I thought, why did God give this horrible place that he doesn't want anyone to go to? He sent his son to save him from going to it. But why did God give it so many different names? Why didn't he just call hell hell consistently, but he gave it different names? And my thinking is that every word that's in our Bible is designed by God. It's supposed to be there. So there's got to be a reason. And the only thought that I could come up with, and I think is an accurate thought, is that God gave it so many different names because each name describes an aspect of hell that we might not get from any other name. And it helps us to see the seriousness of what we're doing to be at the work of God. So I'm going to preach about the subject of hell. Hopefully, as an evangelist, I can be of help and just stir our hearts I don't like to preach on it. God doesn't want anyone to go there, but it's reality, and we need to have our hearts stirred from time to time. So I'm going to preach on this subject, hell, and the approach that we're going to take is, what is hell like? The names explain it well. So we're going to look at the names of hell, and just trust God to use it. Again, God doesn't want anyone in hell. We don't want anyone in hell. We're trying to help people to not go there, God's not sending people to hell. He's trying to save people from going to hell. And then he gave us the job to carry on that gospel, which, by the way, I hear many of you are doing so well. I hear a lot of gospel tracts are going out from this group right here. So amen. But let's look at these, and we won't have covered them all, but we'll be able to hit a few. Now, the first one that I want to look at is an Old Testament word, sheol, S-H-E-O-L. In the Old Testament... 32 out of 32 times the word is translated, hell is from the word shield. For instance, Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into shield, hell, and all nations that forget God. Proverbs 727, speaking of the prostitute, her house is the way to shield, going down to the chambers of death. Now, sometimes shield means the grave, sort of like where people are buried. And other times, it means the eternal damnation. And you can usually tell by the context. 
of what it is referring to. Now, it is called a place of fire, Deuteronomy 32.22, a place of sorrow, Psalm 18.5. But we know that there's fire and that there's sorrow from other verses related to hell. But what I'm trying to do is look at something we might not give from any other name. So what can we get from Sheol that we might not give from any other name? I think it gives insight to its location, the location of hell. I believe it gives indication that it is down. Now, for instance, Isaiah 5.14, they shall descend into it. Psalm 55.15, go down quick into hell. Proverbs 27.27, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 15.24, hell from beneath, and many other verses. Now, there's one that I'd like to invite you to turn to real quickly. Amos chapter 9 and verse 2. Amos 9 and verse 2. Amos 9 and verse 2. Though they dig into hell, then shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up into heaven, thence will I bring them down. Now, this verse teaches if you climb highly enough, you climb into heaven. Most of us have felt that heaven is up. The Bible says Jesus ascended up. So we do believe that heaven is up. But it also seems to indicate that hell is down. It says, though they dig into hell, then shall, um, then shall mine hand take them. Now, if you dig, you're digging in the earth. So logically, it's saying you could dig down into hell. Now, I cannot dogmatically, and I don't think anybody can dogmatically say the hell is in the center of the earth, but the Bible does seem to indicate it. And the interesting point to me as an evangelist, as you study the core of the earth, it is extremely hot. If you've ever looked at it in a science book, 1,800 miles below where I stop my foot is the core of the earth. And it has two sections the outer core, and that is 1,400 miles thick, and the inner core is 800 miles thick. It's somewhat solid, 13 and a half times the density of water, but you could move it around it if you were in it. But if you consider that they say that it is estimated to begin to be 3,200 degrees on the outside, and the deeper you go, it gets hotter to the center of the core being up to 13,000 degrees, and you think about that, it's chilling. Now, we cannot, again, dogmatically say the hell is in the center of the earth. We can dogmatically say there's a hell, right? God doesn't want anyone to go there, right? God sent his son not to send them to hell, but to save them from hell. So we can dogmatically say it is there, but likely, if we look at this, it's in the center of the earth. And so if people are... In hell, which is in the center of the earth, if it is, then they are burning at up to 13,000 degree temperatures, but they're burning and they're burning and they're burning, but they're not dying. Think of it. Now, first word that we had to show us the reminder of what we're doing and how important it is, so there's a lot more we're doing than just winning people to the Lord. We're discipling them for many reasons to save them from all aspects of sin and its destruction. But one of the purposes is the judgment for sin. And that's a very important purpose that we keep that burden before us. All right, now the second word is an Old Testament word. I believe it is referring to hell. 
Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 33. It's the word tophet, T-O-P-H-E-T, tophet. Now in Isaiah 30, 33, it says, For tophet is ordained of old. Yea, for the king it is prepared, he hath made it deep and large, the pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Now, it says it's deep, it says it has fire, it says it has much wood, God is breathing on it like brimstone. Now, what is brimstone? We're not totally sure. But if hell is in the center of the earth, lava is in the center of the earth, they call lava, lava lake, lava fire, and lava stone. Now, if lava is in the center of the earth, and hell is in the center of the earth, and brimstone is in the center of the earth, then I contend to us that brimstone may well be hot seething lava. Imagine swimming around in a lake of lava, but not being able to escape. I'm glad you're handing out tracts. I'm trying to win people. We're all working on this together, but we've got to be reminded of the urgency of it. Now, um, we know from other passages that it is deep, that it is fire, that it is a lot of wood, but what I'm trying to do is use each name to kind of stir our hearts in a unique way and understand a unique part of hell that we might not get from any other name, and what can we get from Tophet that we might not get with any other name? I think some of that might be the association with the practice of it, okay? They used to, Israelites, have idolatry worship, and they would worship a false god named Molech. And in part of their worship, they had a brass statue, and it was hollow. They would put fire in the back of that brass statue, and fire would go through the hollow body. It would come out the hollow fingers where there were holes, and the hollow head where there were holes in the eyes, nose, and mouth. And it would make a ball of fire on the lap of that topic. Then an idolatrous priest would begin to beat drums and he would stir people up, sort of like a rock and roll concert, and then he would pick up the pace, and as he would pick up the pace, then the woman would be one who would dedicate her body to the sacrifice, would walk forward in the emotion of the moment and put her baby into the lap of the topic. Now, it was a horrible practice and the baby then would begin to burn. Now, as that baby began to burn as the human sacrifice, as horrible as it was, they did not want to hear the screaming baby, so they would continue to beat the drums and the pounding and the screaming, and all of that was what you would hear. Now, this again, I'm dogmatic that there is a hell. I am also imagining the possibilities of this. But I believe that the possibility is that in hell, if God chose the word Tophet, he chose it for a reason, I believe it could be referring to there could be a lot of screams in hell. Now, anybody who is a thinking person would understand if somebody's suffering in hell, obviously, if they have a voice, there would be screams. Now, I've heard screams that have affected me. I took emergency medical training. I was trained to work in the back of an ambulance. They brought in a man who was stabbed in his back and his skull, and he would put two fingers in the hole in his back. He'd go right into his lung. We had to cut the side of his chest open with a knife 
put a four-inch tube in to drain his chest cavity that was filling up with fluids just to keep him from drowning in his own fluid. And all of that happened, and I could handle that cutting and the bleeding, but they brought in a woman in the next room with a broken hip. And though she was not going to die, she was hurting. And with that pain, she kept screaming, Doctor, I'm in pain. Give me some relief from the pain. And because this man was about to die, nobody helped her. And she just kept screaming, and she kept moaning, and she kept groaning, and her pain was very clear by her scream. Now, I think about that bothered me more than the cutting and the bleeding. And to think about the seriousness of what we're doing, people that are going to hell, people that are in hell, would you agree there'd be screams? And the screams get louder as more people drop into hell. Now, the old-time evangelists used to preach on hell, and today we don't do it very much. And we say we've got to have revival. But then if we preach with any kind of emotion about this subject, people say, oh, you're sensational. Listen, I don't want to be just sensational. I had one time I preached a message on hell, and the preacher was a good friend of mine. He pulled me aside and he said, well, I could have done without that one. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, my people are intelligent. They're not going to believe something just because you say it. So I began to think through, oh, no, did I say something that wasn't biblical? So I went through point one in my mind. Well, that, I think, is biblical. Point two in my mind, I thought, well, that's in the Bible. Point 17 in my mind when I got there, well, that's in the Bible. And I went through everything I was thinking and saying, and I said, brother, it's, it's in the Bible. He said, yeah, but I could have done without all that drama. And then I began to think, oh, no, am I being over-the-top sensational? Am I being over-the-top emotional? And he goes, uh, I could have done without all the drama. So then I thought, boy, I don't want to be an over-the-top dramatic guy. It's the doctrine. It's not the drama. You know what I'm saying? So I began to think, how can I say this more intelligibly without the sensationalism? And I began to think about people burning in hell. And I began to think, I can't just say, well, people are going to go to hell. It's bad. And I said to him, brother... I don't ever want to be sensational over the top, but hell is dramatic. And I said, the second coming is dramatic. Sin is destructive. And you cannot preach on these things without there being a little drama because these things are serious things. Now, as we talk about these things, I know that we all believe it. But God, I think, sometimes just needs to get an old evangelist in there once in a while just to really stir with the gift and the churches have got to be stirred about the reality of this place and the doctrine does just fine to do it but the doctrine is in the bible s-h-e-o-l shield 1800 miles below i stomp my foot there is the core of the earth and i do not believe that if the bible is in the center of the earth it would be exaggerating to consider the horror of hell by considering the the center of our earth. Down into the chambers of death. Descend down into it. 
except they burn and they burn and they burn and they never die. Tophet, associated with the beating of the drums and with screams. Now, we know that there will be screams in hell, and that alone would be enough to add to our psychological torment. But just imagine the possibility of there being pounding sounds too. Now, the Tophet always had pounding associated with it, the beating of the drums. Now, a geologist friend of mine told me he thinks it's probable that there would be at least sounds like pounding. I said, what do you mean? He says the core of the earth is primarily made up of liquid metal, and as it is moving at 68,000 miles per hour, 19 miles per second, it is moving at the same speed all the time. If there's any room on the inside of the earth, that liquid metal could form waves. And it could lap over at the same pace and give the sound of pounding. And he says the rock is constantly shifting. Sound travels quickly through rock and water. It could travel toward the center of the earth. I'm saying we couldn't over-exaggerate the seriousness of this place. But it is probable that not only would there be pounding, but that would add to your anxiety, add to that screaming. And if I were to do that kind of screaming that we might hell here in hell, it would drive us out of here tonight. So just let's be reminded that the seriousness of what we're doing, we are loved by God 100% infinitely. God is not willing any should perish. God did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through it might be saved. He raised up a church that we would go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of Christ. He is not just concerned that we give people a fire escape out of hell but that we teach them to live for Christ in every way so that they'd be delivered from all of the destructive forces of sin. People have better families when we teach them Jesus' way. Amen? People have more joy when we teach them Jesus' way. People get free from drugs and beer and vices and other things when we teach them God's way. So all of that's involved, but so is this. We've got to keep a burden for these souls that are going to hell. They still are. COVID didn't make hell go away. So we've got to keep our burden for souls. Amen. Now, the third word that I want to look at is a New Testament word. It's the word Gehenna, G-H-E-N-N-A. And let's turn to Mark chapter 9 and verse 43. Mark 9 and verse 43. Familiar verses, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into Gehenna, hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 45. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into Gehenna, hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now some people say that Jesus, if he were here, would never preach on hell. And I think you all are knowing that is just not the case. For every one time he preached on heaven, I was told he preached 12 times on hell. So he watched people in heaven, but he preached on hell because he didn't want people to go there, right? He didn't come to send them to hell. He came to save them from hell. That's right. But he preached on it. Now, if you look in your New Testament, if you have a red letter edition, does anybody, what color is the ink in Mark 9? Red. So that means these are the words of Christ. So Jesus is preaching this. Jesus preached, and this is what he preached. 
and he preached on hell. Now, I don't think that he was preaching mean. I don't think there was a time he did. He turned tables over. There was a time he did when he said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, blind leaders of the blind. You make your followers twofold more the child of hell than yourself. I think he preached strongly. But here, I don't think he's going, hand like some of these preachers. If they ride off in me, cut it off. If I put a hand on, cut it off. I don't think it was, I think he was doing, if you're right eye offending, pluck it out. I've seen this place. You don't want to go there. I don't want you there. If your foot offends you, cut it off. You don't want to go there. Whatever it would be that would put you in hell, get rid of it. And I'm preaching today, if there's anybody listening, whatever it would be that would keep you from going to heaven, get rid of it. Because it's just not good. It's not worth going to hell over what a friend might think or what your family would think or what sin you might want not want to give up. Whatever it would be that would keep you from making sure you're saved. If it's your pride, swallow it. Because people will say, man, I thought he was saved. Oh, he's so emotional. What's the matter with that person? Forget about all that because whatever it be that would get you into hell get rid of it. That's what Christ is saying. But he didn't mean this. Hell is so bad. There are things that people are doing with their eyes that are bad enough that it'll put them in hell. There are things that people are doing with their feet. They're walking into places of ill repute. Now, there are Christians even that are not taking seriously the sin that they're doing. If you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking with your eyes if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, you'd be going to hell for that. You won't go to hell for that, but you would be, we would be, if we let our eyes go where they shouldn't go. Thank God for the blood of Christ. But on the other hand, let's get serious about the sins that we are allowing. They are serious enough to send a person to hell. But yet, thank God we won't go there. But here's what Christ is saying. This place is so bad, losing a part of your body would be painless compared to going to hell. But why choose the word Gehenna? We know that. Something maybe we can get from the, from the word Gehenna that we might not get from any other name. But in 2 Kings 23, from what I understand, King Josiah turned the Tophet place where they offered the Tophets, the Valley of Hinnom, into Gehenna, he turned it into a garbage dump. And that was defiling the Tophet. That was meaning nobody ever is going to worship idols here again. They're not going to worship Tophet again. We're not going to worship Moloch again. He defiled it so that nobody would go back to idolatry there. Now, instead of burning uh, babies, they burned garbage. And that was a slam on Molech. But not only did they burn garbage, they also, by King Josiah's decree, burned bodies only of executed criminals. If somebody were to steal and lose a hand, they would burn that hand. They would burn that foot. If somebody had some kind of capital punishment, they would burn that criminal. Never somebody who died of natural causes. Only those who were criminals. And so you would go to the top of it and you would see bodies burned 
you would see garbage burned. It was a terrible, terrible place. So why the word um, Gehenna, excuse me? I believe it's a good picture of the fact that criminals go to hell. Now think with me. Sometimes we don't understand that even though people are nice, and even though we are nice, sin is serious enough that in God's court it's considered crime that is punishable and worthy of, get it, death by lake of fire. It's a serious thing. And we don't like it, but sometimes we look at our friends and our relatives and we don't see the serious condition that they're in. Good people, but not saved people. And until they become saved by the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which we have the responsibility to get it to them, and you're doing a great job, keep it up, but until they get to Jesus Christ, they are guilty before God, and that's a serious condition. And until we got to Christ, we were guilty. That's a serious condition. So G-H-E-N, Gehenna, a reminder of the seriousness of sin, and that's why hell is so serious. All right, the first word, Tophet, shield, Tophet, now Gehenna, and now let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation 9, there are two words that show me, as an evangelist, show me some things that stir my heart. It talks about God opening up during the tribulation period the bottomless pit, the bottomless pit. Now, there are two words here. The fifth angel sounded, Revelation 9 and verse 1, I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless. That's the first word. Pit, that is the second word. Now, the first word, bottomless, is the word abyss, A-B-Y-S-S. And abyss means boundless, from what I understand, meaning you could go up, you could go down, you could go over, you go over, and in whatever direction you go, and you never get out. Translated in our Bible, bottomless, meaning you would fall, and you would fall, and you would fall, and you would fall. Now, somebody says, if you fall and you fall and you fall, and earth is where the hell is located, wouldn't you eventually fall into China? I know. But I do know this. If God says it's bottomless, it's bottomless. How he's going to work it out, I don't know. I do know this. As the core of the earth is constantly moving around and around and around and around, if that's where hell is, it could give a sensation of going around and around, of falling and falling and falling and falling and falling. It's God's problem to work it out. He said it. It's bottomless. Now, I used to have nightmares when I was a kid. I had one that there was a beautiful woman that I loved. I was 12, and she was 27. But we were madly in love. And I would be going to the street corner to meet her. She'd pull up in a black limousine, and it was going to be great. We were going to spend the day together. Uh, She was in love with me, and I was in love with her. But then she would get out of the car and she'd be walking toward me going like this and smiling. I'd be waving. And the bad guy would step in. He was the driver, the chauffeur. And he'd go around to the trunk and he'd open the trunk and he'd pick up a shovel. And he'd walk up behind her. And then I knew what he was going to do. So I'd start running in my slow motion. No! 
I get there just in time for the shovel to come down, hit her on the head, knock her to the ground, and she lay on the sidewalk and she died. I need a psychiatrist. And I had that nightmare a lot. I had a huge nightmare for a while. There was a car garage, double car garage door, cement sidewalk, and I'm walking toward it. I knew it would happen, and sometimes it would happen like five feet away, sometimes eight feet away, sometimes only two feet away. But I never knew it was going to happen, and all of a sudden it would. This giant, six-foot-tall, white bunny would jump out and grab me. And it would shake me and wake me up. I had that nightmare probably from watching uh, that movie Harvey with James Stewart. But the greatest nightmare I ever had, I think a lot of you have ever had, already had. Did any of you have a nightmare one time that you were falling and falling and falling? They say everybody has that. They say if you hit bottom before you wake up, you die. Did anybody hit bottom? Nope, they're all dead. Okay. Now, we all have had those nightmares, but... The worst nightmare that I ever had was the one that I was falling and falling and falling. And all kidding aside, God says hell is bottomless, so it's bottomless. Now, if you think about it, in this putting it together, you've got 3,200 degree temperatures up to 13,000 degree temperatures, pounding sounds. You've got fire, yes, brimstone, yes, but some of these other perspectives, you are falling and falling and falling, and falling, and that adds to somebody's torment in hell. Now, the next word is the word pit, and that's found also, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven under the earth, they given, was given the key to the bottomless first word, pit, second word. Pit is just a, a word that doesn't sound very good to me, but what comes out of the pit is the scary thing. Verse 3, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and under them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. So what I gather from that is these beasts come out during the tribulation period, and as you read on, they have the face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth like a lion, iron chest, verse 9, wings, a tail like a scorpion in verse 10, and they latch on during the tribulation period. It sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, and if it wasn't in the Bible, I would think impossible, but it's in the Bible. They latch on, they sting people in the tribulation period, and their pain is the pain of a scorpion sting, and it lasts for five months. Now, here's the thought, not that I'm happy about this thought, but transferring a burden to stay at this thing and still see people as souls. If these beasts come out of the bottomless pit, don't they have to be in there in order to come out of there? And so we think about hell and we don't sometimes think about the seriousness of this place and there's so much more, but let's conclude by turning back to where we started. I want you to turn back to Revelation chapter 20. Now, as I mentioned, I've heard preaching on hell, Luke chapter 16, a very familiar passage, uh, a great passage to remind us of the seriousness of hell. There's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day, a certain beggar named Lazarus, 
laid at his gate full of swords, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. came to pass in, in time that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And we've heard this in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue. I am tormented in the flame. So thirsty that all he wanted was a tip of water. That's thirsty. But he could see. No one likes to see terrible things. What's it going to look like in hell? The final hell will ache a fire. I don't think you can see. Present hell, I think you can. He could feel, I'm tormented in the flame. He could hear. There was a conversation between the man in hell and Abraham. And what makes you think if he could see here and he could feel that he couldn't taste, he couldn't smell? We've heard about hell. And we've heard many different messages about hell. And we need to hear messages about hell. Can't take them every day, but we need to. And we always have to remember, God doesn't want anybody in hell. He wants to save people from hell. But that's one of our tasks to not be too shy to try to help some soul. Now, with all that we could look at, I just want to look at one last thought related to this subject of the names of hell. Let's go ahead um, and verse uh, 11. We'll read through this in uh, actually two thoughts since I have just a couple of minutes. I saw a great white throne and him that sat in it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Get this. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their what? Works. So she gave up the dead which went in, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works again. Now, does this mean that if people did enough good works, then maybe they could finally get out of hell. No. What's the purpose of this judgment? We take no joy in this, but we get sobered by it. The purpose of the great white throne judgment is to determine the degree of punishment souls will face in the final place of judgment, the lake of fire. And Romans 2.5 says, because of thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasureth up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath. And some of us know some people that have a pretty hot place in hell right now because the more that they reject God, the hotter it gets for them. So we cannot give up because there are people that can't, they, they have no hope if we give up on them. So we've got to stay at it. You're doing it. Stay at it. God doesn't want to send people to hell. That's why he sent his son. People go to hell. God doesn't send them to hell. He's trying to save them from hell where they're already going. So that's our mission. But let's look at this last word that I want to look at. Verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the what? Lake of fire. Hell is cast into the lake of fire. So they're two different things. Verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the last word that I want to look at, Sheol, Tophet, Gehenna, the pit, the abyss, 
There are other words, Tartarus, Hades, other things. But the last one we want to look at is the lake of fire. Now, all I'll say about the lake of fire is simply this. If the first hell is as bad as it is, and the second hell is worse, think how bad the lake of fire must be. So we've got to see these people and care about their condition. So, this is all because sin is that serious. Jonathan Edwards said, the greatness of the sin is determined by who the sin is done against. So our sins are against God, so that's why they're a big deal. So we're guilty, and so are they, but we were criminals that got saved while we were sinners, so there's hope for those criminals too. But we've got to get that message to them. So never be afraid to do what is the best thing you could ever do for anyone in the world. Amen. Tell them about the gospel. Amen.